Welcome to the Nurse Surgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. Welcome back to the Nursery Podcast. Today, we continue in our mini-series on surgeons and families, and we are delighted to be joined by another orthopedic spine surgeon. Today, we have Tom Mraz. Tom is the uh, head of orthopedics and rheumatology at the Cleveland Clinic. He's close friends and partners with Mike Steinmetz, who was on the podcast before talking about fishing. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mike, and thank you, JP. Now, I'm just going to let our listeners know that what we're going to talk about today is something that's incredibly important, I feel, but so seldom discussed. And, and Dr. Moraz was good enough to come on and, and share some of his insight with us. I've known Tom for about 20 years just through societies and meetings and whatnot, and, and I've known him as not only being an incredible spinal surgeon, but also a great educator and, and someone who has a deep conviction about humanity. And um, Tom, I remember about 10 years ago, we were talking and joking, and as, as I like to do, I like to joke about getting married and dating and stuff like that and things along those lines. And, and I remember you were dating a gal and you were telling me that, I think you were saying something like the most important thing in your life right now was your, you were helping your father. Right. And if I remember correctly, you know, you, you had said something that really struck me because I was about 40 years old then, and you were telling me how your father had gotten sick and, and you had actually concertedly planned financially and um, in terms of, of, of your daily schedule and timing that you were going to be taking care of your father and helping him. And, you know, to me, that really struck me because, you know, I look at my father and he, he doesn't ever want to die. And I, I can't imagine him any other situation, but I, I know this is a common problem um, and it's a common occurrence in humanity. So do you want to just share with our listeners a little bit about what you went through and a little bit of background maybe? Yeah, absolutely, Mike. Um, so uh, I, I was the youngest uh, child of four kids and <clears throat> my father uh, you know, had me late in life around 40 years old, I think at 41 years old. And so when I got to be 40, you know, he was close to 80, uh, 81 years old and he developed Alzheimer's disease. And it was, a, you know, it, it's something that you learn about. It's something that you learn about in med school and you maybe know somebody who's developed it, but you really don't understand exactly what it means and what the implications are when, when it starts to happen. And, you know, I, I remember having, you know, a lot of conversations with neurologists at the Cleveland Clinic um, who were just my friends. And I remember one, uh, one conversation in particular with Ginny Tabby, who's one of the neuromuscular disease uh, uh, neurologists. And, um, you know, we were just talking about Alzheimer's and I remember commenting to her that it, it's just a long, painful goodbye. You know, when, when one of your parents, uh, when this happens to one of your parents, you know, it's something you don't, you, you're not, I don't think anybody's really ever prepared for it, you know, whether it's emotional or, or, or financial necessarily, but um, it was a big challenge. And, and, you know, I think it was a bigger challenge because, you know, my, my siblings, uh, one was on, in California, um, uh, my other two siblings, you know, were, they were involved, but, you know, I had such a deep connection with both of my parents, you know, it, it really hit me very personally. And it was really hard uh, for me to, to try to figure out, well, how do I, you know, put my game face on at work, continue my work, uh, when at the same time, I'm having to deal with a lot of things that were, 
uh, initially quite easy to deal with, uh, but then as, as my dad's disease progressed, um, uh, you know, how do you ramp up the care? And, you know, I, at the time I made a, a very big decision that I didn't want him to be in any sort of facility, and so I kept him home. That has different implications, you know. So I, I, um, I hired um, 24-hour care, and this was sort of like later, like the last two years of his life, and this went on for about seven years. But, you know, during that seven years, it, it was incredibly challenging because, you know, you, you're, you know, I started a family uh, of my own. I had, you know, obligations at home, and my father was living in, a, in, in the home that we had, you know, that I had bought, uh, that I had grown up in, and he wanted to stay at home, as most my older people do. Uh, and so, uh, but trying to coordinate home care and, and be there myself, and home care is not perfect, you know, you try to go to the best, the best company, but it created real challenges, um, you know, just from a, um, a practical perspective. But I'll tell you, I think the biggest challenge for me was just, you know, dealing with the hospital, the ER uh, emergency visits and the, and, and the intermittent um, hospitalizations, you know, and you're, you're up all night and you go to work the next day, and, you know, I don't know. For me, I'm, I'm a very quiet person at work when it comes to these sorts of things. And so I was trying to do a full-time clinical job in a leadership position while not telling anybody about it, except my closest friends, Mike Steinmetz and Ed Benzel. Um, but it was a challenge uh, for me specifically. And it was hard to keep everything under the lid and, and, and make sure I continue to perform at work. Yeah, you know, I, we <clears throat> certainly appreciate you sharing this because I think the message, of course, is that maybe by listening to this, some of our thousands of listeners may be better able to cope or prepare for, for things they're going to face that are similarly challenging. So, you know, I'm going to say something, and I, I know that it, it might sound sexist, but I think it reflects more just the reality of our culture, which is that, uh, as we found in this fam family series, um, you know, most neurosurgeons or spine surgeons are men, and most of these type of family responsibilities, like childcare or caring for an aging parent, tend to fall on the shoulders of women, right? But one of the things that struck me about your situation is at the time you were not married, and you had kind of, I mean, for lack of a better way of putting it, taken this burden on basically by yourself. Yeah, yeah, I did, and it was, uh... It, like I said, it was very challenging, you know, and when you're close to somebody and you're dealing with, with, with a disease like this, it's, you know, it's everything while you're rendering the care yourself. I remember when he was getting sick, you know, I was trying to put an IV in and, you know, I'm not very good at putting IVs, <laughs> IVs in in a dehydrated patient and, you know, managing wound care. And, you know, yeah, I'm not a nurse, but I've certainly learned about it, but how do you really do it? Uh, and so these are the real practical things that were happening towards the end stages of all of this that I really struggled with. You know, I learned a lot from the home care specialists that were helping me. But um, I think if I were to give advice to anybody is to really lean on the people that, you, that, that are close to your circle of support, you know, whether it's, you know, Mike Steinmetz in my case or Ed Benzel or my close friends who, who would come over and help me you know, with the bathing and all these other things that I, that, that, I, that, I, that, I, that I wanted to do. You know, I really, you know, it's, it was a privilege and an honor taking care of my, and being in a position where I can actually do this, um, you know, certain challenges associated with it. But, you know, it's, um, it's something in life, I think it's probably the hardest thing one would ever have to go through, whether it's losing a spouse, a parent, or even worse, a child, you know, but it's something that, you know, I don't know, I wasn't, certainly wasn't trying to prove anything to myself, but I didn't see there was any other way uh, for me to go through it because, you know, I love my parents so much and I just needed to do it that way, but yeah.
You know, Dr. Mraz, my uh, my heart goes out to you. It's not something I've talked about on the show before, but I'm also the youngest child of many children in a family. And my parents were in their early 40s when they had me. So what you're talking about, th this age gap between you and your father is something that's occurred to me as I get older and start looking forward in, in my own lifespan for what kinds of things might be in store with my own parents and what point in my life that might hit. So the story you're telling really hits home for me right now. Um, but b because I haven't had the pleasure to meet you before, I did a little bit of homework when I heard we'd be talking and I, I looked up some of your videos on the Cleveland Clinic website and saw the way you talk about your practice. And like many of us in the profession, I saw you talking about how you try to treat all of your patients like they're your family members. And like many of us, you ask yourself, what would I want done for my own father? How would I treat my own mother in this situation? And I think many of us think about our patients as family members to make that moral decision and dig deep to do the right thing for them. I wonder what it was like in this inverted situation where you have someone who's already your family member that now you have to learn how to treat almost as a patient. I mean, you're, you're talking about getting a, a difficult IV into someone who's your father. And I know that as I've gotten older, my own father hasn't changed. He, he is who he's been for decades. But as I get older, my relationship with him changes and sometimes we're more friends. And sometimes I just want him to be my dad, though. And so I wonder, as your father kind of shifted into this different role in relation to you, what was that like both as a son and as a clinician trying to care for him? Oh, uh, well, you know, it's, an, it's incredibly challenging uh, emotionally because you, you know, you look at your father and perhaps your mother as, as an oak, you know, and, and, and somebody's always been there uh, to offer advice and to, um, to provide the support when you're in, in need and things like that. And so you're right, it was a very inverted um, situation where you're, 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 you've lost all of that sort of interaction <clears throat> and you're trying to care, you know, render the best care when you're incredibly emotionally biased um, and you're trying to, while you're delivering that care, whether it's a bath or a bed bath or, you know, or the IV or, or maybe a dressing change for a skin breakdown um, and still trying to reconcile your emotional distraughtness. It's not really a word, but, you know, you're being so emotionally vulnerable and distraught at the same time. And, um, it was a challenge and, and, you know, we could talk about tenacity and resilience and I, I don't know what it was, but it was just something that was incredibly hard to go through. But, it, you know, I, for, for me, the biggest thing was the challenge was the emotional attachment and, and trying to maintain an element of objectivity um, about, well, how do you, when do you call the EMS and when do you not? Um, when do you start to you know, withdraw services or, or support, you know, versus not and trying to do it as the, as the legal guardian, as the emotional guardian, as your father, your son, and it, it all of it in aggregate, honestly, was, was it, such a, a unique challenge to me um, that it, you know, when you're going through it and you're working through it day by day, it's almost as if it's a blur, to be honest with you. And so, um, I think the the biggest thing for me was reliance upon those people people closest to me because, um, you know, intrinsically, I, I again I, I was always very shy to talk to other people about it. Oh, you know, you don't want to show any kinks in your armor, um, you know. But when you're we're going through like this, something like this, I, you know, from from a from a your own health, you know, make sure that you do rely on your support. But, you know, it was going back to your point. I think that 
when you're trying to um, remain objective and in a very emotionally charged circumstance, I just, uh, I, I don't know what the, the, the formula is. I think it comes down to who you are and what you need to do and what you can and cannot live with in, in, in your decision-making process. But there's, I, I don't know, I, I think I'm just talking in circles right now because I don't really have a clear... So, yeah. Tom, you know, we're neurosurgeons and, and we've had a number of orthopedic surgeons on, but as a spine surgeon, you're kind of like us. Like, neurosurgeons are quite acquainted with the concept of death uh, in its various manifestations. It's like, you know, oncologists, they have a lot of people dying of cancer, but we have people dying abruptly or in a protracted fashion or through a difficult situation like a coma. And so we, we see death all the time, right, as neurosurgeons. And, and as spine surgeons, I think you're, you're close to that in a way too, right? So when, when you're going through this with your family, and, and you hear people say it all the time, like, um, if you can minimize suffering, that might be more important than prolonging life sometimes, right? And I'm sure this has gone through your head extensively. How, how do you think this has changed you? I mean, you, you saw, you only have one father, you only have one mother, and you are part of the actual process of the end of their life. Had, had that changed at all your view of, of the balance between suffering and longevity, for example? Not that there's always that analysis, but often we're, we're in that situation, right? Yeah, no, it certainly, certainly has. It puts things into perspective. And so, you know, I, you know, as a son, I always wanted my parents to live as long as and intuitively, or instinctively, you just want to say, oh, I want, I want to keep, keep my parents alive, or I want to keep my patients alive for as long as possible. But, you know, we, when you're, when you're faced with this, and you see the day to day um, uh, degradation and function, um, awareness, uh, and then, you know, the suffering that could potentially that goes along with it, whether it's, you know, you know, pain from a bed sore, or, or whatever the, the problem that week may be, um, you start to stop being that person. Well, I'm going to be, you know, potentially. I'm thinking. Stop thinking about myself and my own wishes. Like I want to preserve, preserve, preserve life. And you really start to say, well, what what is the best thing to really do? Um, you know, and you know, I relied on a lot of people. You know, whether it's you know from a spiritual perspective or or philosophical perspective, and it really helped me, you know, reconcile my own desires to what I thought and I began to think was right in that circumstance where, you know, the trips to the emergency department, you know, for a variety of different medical conditions, you know, in the later stages become less frequent. Um, and, and so it became more of a um, concerted decision to minimize the interventions and, and let, you know, life take its natural course uh, while maintaining absolute comfort at all times. Now, I'm very interested in something you talked about in the beginning of this conversation, which was the, the decision you made to take care of your father yourself. Uh, I think if you, if you compare our current culture and the norms in the United States these days compared to other nations, and even compared to American culture in the past, maybe a century ago, we really have, in general, offloaded the care of our elders to professionals and to institutions where as people used to stay at home and be with their family, multi-generational households until the end of life, often dying at home, having viewings at home, and many cultures today still live in, in that pattern, we often, uh, again, offload our elders to institutions and into the hands of professionals, but you instead made the decision to care for your father yourself. Now, I, I think anyone would agree that given someone who can do that, be it economically, having the time to do it, the energy, the capacity, the 
the moral fortitude to care for your parents yourself, of course we would agree that that's the right thing to do. So I don't want to ask the question, should people do that themselves if they can? But what I'm more interested in, in, in looking back on that experience for yourself, not in terms of caring for your father and getting through the situation, but just for yourself as an individual with your profession as a son, was that experience in retrospect a positive to have that extra time and that sense of ownership, caring for your loved one? Or was it more painful to see firsthand what your father was going through? Well, that's a really intuitive question. Um, for me, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a big decision. You know, I've always um, been uh, very emotionally attached to my parents and I've always been incredibly grateful um, to my parents uh, for, you know, propping me up when I'd fall on my face through my many mistakes during adolescence and in my 20s. And, but, and so I, I, I had this deep appreciation of what they went through for me. Uh, and so, um, and I think that coupled with my, um, my, and I've, my, my thinking, and it's been consistent through my life that really family and my best friends are the most important thing to me and work falls maybe a third or fourth, even though I think it's really important, but it, it's those sorts of relationships that I have with other people that are always going to, um, uh, uh, supplant everything else. They're all going to they're always going to come to the forefront. But for me, it wasn't a, a big, a big deal. You know, I've always considered, you know, myself grateful where, you know, I, I would never have accomplished what I've accomplished. I would never have gone to medical school if it hadn't been for my parents. And so it just wasn't, you know, a big, a big question for me about whether I should or should not do it, you know, but it's going to vary from person to person. You know, I knew, you know, beyond what I just mentioned that, you know, life in a nursing home or a long care facility is not optimal. You know, we in medicine, we hear about the things that happen. I, and I just happened to be in a situation super fortunate um, uh, to be able to financially uh, deal with it. It, it. It's a financial, it's a big financial thing, um, but I was fortunate to be able to, you know, just put aside everything else in my life at the time and, you know, you know what I had planned for and just focus that on, focus on my father. Yeah, you know, I, I, I want to get to that, and I know that it's not the most important thing, but this economic cost of, of handling um, the this protracted process of disability or dying, um, obviously as spinal surgeons and neurosurgeons, you know, we're economically able to do that, but if you were to give advice to folks, having gone through this process, concepts like having long-term uh, care policies, which you have to purchase before you get to that position, yeah. right? And the earlier you purchase it, the more economically feasible it might be, right? Yeah. Do you, is that something when you look back like, I need to get a policy like that for myself so I'm less of a burden? Do I need to get it for my parents because I'm going to need that? Wow, do you have a view on this? Yeah, you know, it's... It's interesting, you know. I, um, I I think if it's if it's possible for anybody to prepare for something like this, if, if they're strongly committed, listen, I don't. I want the best for my parents. Um, in the event that something like this happens, then I think purchasing something like that in, in far in advance of of the seventh and eighth decade of life is 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 probably the best thing if one can afford it. Um, you know, for my, me personally, I haven't invested that in, into that for myself. Um, there's, you know, I've taken other precautions or planning uh, so that doesn't occur but you know I think definitely because these sorts of things are not covered you know when it comes to a long care long-term care commitment or need you know aside from a nursing home um, or hospice care you know if you just want to well I'm going to take care of my 
my mom or my dad for at home for the next four years. I mean, that, that's all out of pocket. So you get a 24 hour home health company to, to come in 24 seven with shift work. Um, you know, it, it becomes very pricey. So planning for something like that, you know, by whatever means necessary, whether it's through an insurance company or a provider such as that, or just putting aside money as you normally would for a child's education, if you're able to, I think that would be ideal. And yeah, I totally agree because to being, and most people don't do it. I certainly didn't think about it. Right. Uh, but, but once you're in that situation, it, it happens quick and it, and if you're not, if you hadn't planned for it and I had not, um, then it becomes a bigger issue. And it just, it adds to the complexity of the problem that you're already trying to deal with, which is, is, is unfortunate. You know, that, that's an excellent point. That's a, and that's a very pragmatic and practical point. I wonder outside of that specific planning aspect, in what other ways did the, that whole experience change your outlook on your own future and planning for your future, not only in the nitty gritty details and the finances of it, but how you intend to spend your time and, and what aspects of your life and your own health and well-being you focus on as you progress through your own life? Uh, that's a very good question. And that certainly has, uh, you know, the way he died, obviously Alzheimer's has implications for every, every um, child of that person. Um, and so, you know, you take the necessary precautions and you, you maintain a healthy life, um, you know, and, and that goes from everything, eating right, exercise, no alcohol, et cetera. You know, these are the sorts of things that neurologists recommend. But, you know, um, it, I think it comes down to a philosophy. I've always believed that, you know, we only live once and I really, you know, you know it's, if, I've always loved living. I'm very passionate about that. There's so many things in life to do, so many footprints to leave, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but this really, uh, you know, heightened my awareness, not only my own mortality, but what potentially can occur. And, and you know, being in medicine, whether you're a neurosurgeon or a spine surgeon, you're going to see, you know, colleagues, if you live long enough and you're practicing long enough, colleagues that go down, whether it's the day after they retire or somewhere in their 40s and 50s, and it really heightens your awareness of everything that can happen to life on a dime. Um, uh, but I, But it's really you know, having children, you know, now I have three kids, one's 12, 12, 12 months, three years and five years. And, you know, it's really, really brought into focus for me, the need to be present, uh, to be healthy, to make sure I'm taking care of myself beyond what I've always uh, ever done, you know, in terms of exercise, eating properly, but making sure that when I am home, I, I remain present. Um, and and th that, I, I think, has been the biggest lesson for me because, you know, when you do have children late in life, which I did, you know, I was so focused on launching my career. I waited, ah, oh, Susan, it's going to be a, we're going to wait a little bit, a little bit longer. Um, but, you know, having this happen right at the, right after my son was born, obviously, you know, in, in some, you know, in, in reality, it's, um, it really brings things into focus for sure. Well, Tom, you know, first of all, I, I have to thank you uh, on behalf of our listeners for sharing some of your experiences with us. It, it can be painful to share, but I think that, through this medium, you're actually helping a lot of folks who maybe maybe they haven't thought of this, or maybe they're going through it right now, and they, they can hear that there are other people that have a shared experience, and um, and it means a lot. It means a lot. I know you do amazing work every day as a, as a father and as a surgeon and as a son. You know, I, 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 I thought about you as we were putting this mini-series together, so I, I want to thank you for sharing something very deep and compelling and impactful. And, um, you know, it, it really is a strong and important message. Thank you, Mike. And thank you, JP, for having me. Um, this has been great.